Welcome back to Historical Context. Today we continue our series on Virginia during the Restoration. Today's episode is episode number 100 of our podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed these episodes as much as I have researching them and presenting them. Now, we last left off in 1662 when Governor Sir William Berkeley petitioned the King of England, King Charles II, for improvements to be made within the Virginia colony. Today's episode starts with the English response and the next series of events that occur in Virginia. Last week's episode also talked about an illegal trade occurring. This was allegedly between the Dutch and Virginia merchants. This was in violation of the Navigation Acts of 1660 and by late August of 1662 William Berkeley sent a petition to England reporting that the price of tobacco had collapsed. This was due in part to England restricting the market on tobacco, not allowing Virginia to trade with anybody else. So the supply either stays the same or maybe it even goes up, but the demand actually drops because you're dealing with a smaller uh, demand base, which in this case is just England and not the rest of the world or the rest of Europe. So the price of tobacco collapses, Berkeley requested that England ban the planting of tobacco in its country to help support the price. And we've been here before with this issue, kind of back and forth uh, in Virginia. Berkeley alleging now in his letter that the price of tobacco is below the cost of freight, the cost of sending it over to England. So planters are taking quite a loss right now in planting tobacco. To make matters more complicated, ships in Virginia were not permitted to leave until after May 1st, and this led to a petition of ship owners and merchants to the king. In September, a warrant was issued for uh, Sir William Berkeley to send 300 tons of tobacco to England. And if he did this, the shipment would not be charged customs. So England is attempting uh, to reduce the cost for the planters and merchants of, of Virginia. Uh, he was also asked to send over a similar size ship with silk, hemp, flax, pitch, and potashes. And this goes back to England's desire for Virginia to diversify its resources, and here they're making a formal request for uh, some of those products. In late 1662, the Crown sends formal instructions to William Berkeley regarding the colony. Now, we've seen formal instructions from previous monarchs, but this is the first time we're seeing them from the restored Charles II, and they start with some religious guidance. Let's have a look at the writing. You shall in the first place take special care that he be devoutly and duly servant in all your government, the book of common prayer, as it is now established, read each Sunday and holy day, and the blessed sacrament administered according to the rites of the Church of England. 
So the Church of England appears to have been restored as well, and its values are now being expected to be carried over to Virginia, which shouldn't be too bad considering the inhabitants of the colony mostly, mostly align with that religion. The second instruction deals with those who supported previously the Commonwealth. Let's have a look. You shall within one month after your arrival or sooner if you think fit, call a general assembly according to the usages of that our colony and that at the opening thereof you shall declare to them that we are graciously pleased to grant a free and general act of pardon and oblivion to all our subjects of what degree and quality soever of that our colony of all crimes offenses and misdemeanors so ever committed since so forgiveness and reconciliation and we've seen this before in maryland and we've seen it from supporters of the commonwealth in maryland so we'll see how well this works now anyone in the colony involved in the murder of charles the first was not pardoned and uh, they were expected to be returned to england the instructions continue further. Let's have a look. Provided that you and the assembly take present care for the repeal of all laws and orders made during the times of the late rebellion and usurpation against our crown and dignity and derogatory to the obedience which all our subjects of that our colony do owe us unto uh, our government and which we presume they are willing to pay to us now all laws from the commissioners time remember the commissioners were allies of the Commonwealth were to be repealed uh, the order also charged planters with building more towns along the rivers citing success in New England so they wanted them to be more like New England and we see in New England we've seen in our study of New England a lot more towns popping up than in Virginia and a lot of them being along rivers same with Connecticut and so England is wanting Virginia to use that model likely so that the rivers could be used for shipping and trade purposes the order encouraged the production of silk flax hemp pitch and potashes and it placed shipping limits on tobacco. A payment to the colony of 1,000 pounds per year was established to assist in the development of the colony. The order insinuates that the funds are sourced from the collection of tobacco duties. So they are taxing the tobacco shipments that come over. And as a result of that, they have so much in funds they're using that they're putting that money back into the colony for its further development England also reversed a rent holiday on lands that had lasted for seven years after people were abusing the privilege by holding on to land without any planting just to keep the competition out so you know you offer this rent holiday where people don't have to pay basically it's a property tax holiday if you think about it in today's terms and what was happening with those holidays is that people were 
people were snapping up and possessing land, but they weren't planning on it. They were just using it to try to keep competition away. And so that reduces the colony's output and what they're able to provide to England. Well, England doesn't like that, and they want that practice to stop. England also required the governor provide an annual report of the colony back to the mother country. And I've read ahead, I'm up now to about 1670, so I've read about eight years ahead from this point. And unfortunately, I have not seen any annual reports. I'm assuming Berkeley sent them, but it doesn't appear as if they've been preserved, or at least I can't find them. If somebody does find them, please put them in the comments, because an annual report from the governor would give us a great picture as to what was going on in Virginia, or what was being portrayed to England as to what was going on in Virginia. Now, the Grand Assembly had a, uh, a very short session in late 1662, nothing worth mentioning. Nothing else of record really comes up until we get to the fall of uh, 1663, so almost eight to ten months of, uh, of basically a gap in this historical record, and we don't even know if the king's instructions were followed because there's no record of a meeting per his instructions. Uh, in August of 1663, the English Parliament decides to expand the Navigation Acts through something called the Staple Act, and they sent notice to Virginia regarding the Staple Act. And the Staple Act now says that goods exported from the American colonies must be transported on English ships and they are to pass through ports in England whether they are designated for England or anywhere else in the world. So now England basically becomes a customs house for exports coming out of Virginia or I should say for that matter the American colonies. The colonies now have to uh, go take everything to England and imagine how discouraging that is for international trade. In September of 1663 the Grand Assembly did meet and uh, business each day was brief in the records but uh, there's one paragraph that I found interesting that occurred on September 12th. Let's have a look. Whereas Mr. John Hill, High Sheriff of Lower Norfolk, hath represented to the house that Mr. John Porter, one of the Burgesses of that county, was loving to the Quakers and stood well affected towards them and had been at their meetings and was so far an Anabaptist as to be against the baptism of children, upon which representation the said porter confessed himself to be well affected to the Quakers, but conceived his being at their meetings could not be proved, upon which the oaths of allegiance and supremacy were tendered to him, which he refused to take, whereupon it is ordered that the said porter be dismissed of this house. So Mr. Porter is accused of being a Quaker, and we're seeing through those actions of him being 
uh, disposed from the House of Burgesses what Virginia is thinking of Quakers. They're not hanging them like Massachusetts Bay, but they're certainly not positive about them. So Quakers were, were not being whipped or executed, but they were definitely not allowed to partake in public hearings. On the issue of tobacco, commissioners were appointed to meet from Virginia and Maryland. So this is sort of a delegation getting together between Virginia and Maryland. Each of these commissioners got together, so Maryland's came together with Virginia's and agreed that starting in 1664, neither colony would grow tobacco after June 20th. The Grand Assembly ratified this agreement. They're basically limiting the supply of tobacco in an effort to support the price, and the way they do that is to limit planting. On September 16th, the Grand Assembly notes a rather dramatic event. Let's have a look at the writing. Since the least mercy we receive from God's hands challenge our daily thanks, whether it be not fit for transcendent a favor as the preserving all we have from utter ruin, deserve not to have an annual solemnity celebrated to keep it in remembrance, resolved that the 13th of September be annually kept holy, being the day those villains intended to put the plot in execution. Villains putting a plot in execution. What could they be talking about? Well, the event that the assembly is referring to is something that became known as the Gloucester County Conspiracy. Gloucester County Conspiracy. This was where English, Irish, African, and Native slaves and servants conspired together to uprise against their plantations. These different groups were united because of their poor treatment. Their target was Lieutenant Colonel Francis Willis, who was a member of Governor Berkeley's council. The plot was revealed when a slave by the name of John Birkenhead exposed it. So he actually tattled on this group and exposed the conspiracy. This allowed the authorities to step in and stifle the rebellion. They end up giving Birkenhead his freedom and 5,000 pounds tobacco for alerting them. Now, what we really don't know is what happened to the men involved in the plot or who they specifically were. We don't have any names. The great unknown here has created a lot of theories. And some historians believe that the English indentured servants may have actually been prisoners from Cromwell's army. So they were Commonwealth allies in, in the army from England sent over as indentured servants to work as a punishment. But the documentation regarding this event is, is sparse, if anything, so it's hard to validate that. 
but it's an interesting situation considering this is the first known slave rebellion in the colonies and it happened to involve English, Irish, and native indentured servants as well. Now the same General Assembly session that you know condemned September 13th also unanimously decided to base taxes on land ownership versus headcount. So back to what we were talking earlier about the rent holiday. So now if you've hoarded out a bunch of land, you're going to be paying a lot of taxes because of this new law put into effect. In December, the Council of Foreign Plantations issued letters to each of its colonial governors requesting that it crack down on an illegal tobacco trade with the Dutch. They were not having it. Uh, the English were not having uh, this trade with the Dutch. The committee estimated that the trade amounted to 10,000 pounds per year. So that's why they're really cracking down now. 10,000 pounds per year out of their hands and into somebody else's. They also attempted to draw up a model where colonial governors could assist with the price problem regarding tobacco. In January of 1664, the committee met again. They further debated this model to assist farmers and a committee ends up being appointed. In the summer of 1664, the Virginia colony sent a letter to King Charles II informing him of the agreement reached between the commissioners of Maryland and Virginia regarding the planting of tobacco. But there was a snag. Let's have a look at the writing. But the commissioners for Maryland, pretending that they had not a power to impose any such law upon their inhabitants without the consent of their assembly, the treaty rested there until both respective assemblies met, which was in September the same year, at which time Your Majesty's Assembly in Virginia unanimously voted the said restriction, provided the inhabitants of Maryland would conform themselves to the same. Otherwise, to have as full liberty of planting as the Mar Marylanders had. So essentially what's happening there, and I should have probably cut that last sentence, Virginia is only going to abide if Maryland ratifies and they abide. The letter goes on to indicate that the Maryland Assembly rejects the measure. So they end up rejecting the measure. Uh, we'll hopefully get some clarification on this when we switch over to Maryland. But for now, Maryland is being thrown under the bus by Virginia. Virginia is basically saying we're trying to solve this problem. We need Maryland on board. They're not on board. Therefore, we're unable at this time to restrict planting. Later that summer, a complaint reached the Committee on Foreign Plantations regarding indentured servants. An allegation came forward that poor Englishmen were being promised money, clothes, and food to come to Virginia, only then to be tricked into indentured servitude. The practice was referred to as being spirited away. The committee forwarded the matter to the Committee of Servants. There was actually a committee set up for indentured servitude. The committee then of servants referred the matter to Parliament 
requesting that a law be passed. The committee noted that slaves from Africa were sold for 20 pounds, while Europeans were sold for between 6 and 10 pounds. It's hard to say why the cost difference, as uh, the report did not go into any additional detail, other than to state that the Europeans were usually felons, beggars, and gypsies. The difference in price could have to do with a number of things. Could do with the cost of transporting somebody, could do have to do with the reliability of the individual, but nonetheless, Europeans at best were priced half uh, of that of Africans. So we'll have to keep an eye on this relationship and see if we get any more information as to how it changes. In September of 1664, the council ordered that all servants going to the foreign colonies voluntarily be registered. So this is to cut back on fraud and uh, making sure that everybody registers before they leave so that they can acknowledge uh, that they're going into indentured servitude. The person in charge of these records was the Duke of York. James was his name, and he was the king's younger brother. In 1665, the Second Anglo-Dutch War broke out, and Dutch seizures of English merchant ships heading to Virginia early in the conflict had a considerable impact on the colony. If you think about it from the Virginians' perspective, your trade is restricted to England. England made that law, the uh, Staple Act, the Navigation Act. You really can't operate much outside of this England to Virginia relationship. And while Virginia probably could have traded with New England, you got to remember those two are on different pages and there's a little bit of this going on. And that is me, uh, you know, kind of rubbing my uh, hands together for the audio people. A lot of hand wringing between the two, just as there is with Maryland. And so that Virginia to England trade relationship is critical to the health of the Virginia colony. So when the Dutch start taking English ships or attacking English ships, Virginia is not getting what it needs in trade goods from England. In August of that year, Governor Berkeley armed men to assist any merchants coming in and out of the ports should they be attacked by the Dutch. So he's not necessarily raising an army here. He is fortifying or arming his ports with armed men in the event that the Dutch come in and try to do something. Berkeley would report that 2,500 men were called up to serve and that cannon could reach ships half a mile off the coast. So this is a pretty elaborate fortification being set up. So will the Dutch attack Virginia as part of the second Anglo-Dutch War? And will trade between Virginia and everybody else get any better? We'll find out next time on Historical Context.